Welcome to the Triage Method Podcast with me, Gary McGowan, and my co-host, Mr. Patrick Farrell. How are you this week, buddy? I'm positively fantastic, Gary. There's supposedly only one week left of this lockdown. Like This is coming out on Monday, I want to say it's the 21st, 24th, 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 and 23rd, fuck, 23rd, sorry, sorry. 23rd, anyway, look, one of those days that are in the 20s, which means that supposedly, <laughs> potentially, maybe, although we've got no word of it, um, we're allowed back in the gym next week. So yeah. from the Tuesday onwards, apparently, the 1st of December. Now, if that fucking happens, I will be pleasantly surprised. I personally think it will, because I don't know how you can justify keeping things locked down, but then also justify saying that the lockdown didn't work. Like, in my mind, I'm like, that's, they're two contradictory things, you know? Um, but who the fuck knows? It is 2020. Um, they might do whatever suits them, you know? Um, and the gyms may or may not open up. They might go, oh, uh, actually, level four restriction is what we're doing. Um, but you're open up, you know? Who who knows? Now, obviously, that's, it puts us in an incredibly hard position, Gary, because obviously, we're trying to run, run a business over here, you know? It's, it's, not, it's not great. But I will be happy to see the gyms opening up either way. Don't you agree, Gary? Yeah. Personally, I don't think they will um, because I'm a pessimist. Um, but yeah. I'm actually an optimist. I, I genuinely think they will open up, but I've been wrong before. So who knows? Yeah, but we'll see. We will see what the uh, the uh, dialectic between Neffet, which is now a household name, and um, the government happens to be. We'll see. Um, but anyway, nonetheless, today's topic uh, is just as mood. Just as depressing. We're going to take your coffee away. We've taken everything else. 2020 has taken everything from you. And we're going to take your, coffee We've away. taken your family. We've taken your job. Yeah. We've taken your money. Yeah. What, what's Gym, Your gains. Gym, everything. Like, what's left? It's your coffee. That's the only no. thing that's probably been getting you through this whole pandemic. And myself and Gary now are about to fucking slay your sacred cow. Or are we? Because this is obviously a very nuanced discussion. So, Gary... The floor is open to you. Where do we start this discussion? Coffee, good, bad, indifferent. Should we give it up? Should we be drinking more? What's the story? Yeah, so I think we'll open this conversation with a, a bit of a, a health monologue and then we'll move on to kind of, you know, talking about the, the performance and the body composition stuff, which means that basically we're structuring the conversation that way because we all know that everyone cares more about performance and body composition than they do health. So if we put that after, it means you have to listen to me talk about the boring health stuff, you know. So that's that's my theory. Um, but yeah, coffee, guys. You know, I think um, one of the first things that comes to mind when people think about coffee is it's probably thought of as being like synonym, synonymous with caffeine. You know, it's it's just like yeah, coffee. It's a source of caffeine. It comes from a bean. It's a black liquid, and you know, it tastes good. It's that's kind of it. But the reality is that, you know, coffee is actually, you know, quite a, a complex food, if you will, or beverage. Um, and, you know, some some uh, researchers have gone so far to suggest that it should be considered more like a, a fruit or a vegetable type of food because of its uh, health benefits and the properties of it. You know, um, I think it as like a, a smoothie, a fruit smoothie. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> like, I think that that definitely uh it suits my bias, to be honest, for it to be called a vegetable, but I wouldn't be so quick to add it to, you know, your five a day or your 10 a day or whatever just yet. Um, but basically, coffee contains a lot of other things, you know, so it's got, 
it does have caffeine, but caffeine isn't actually the most abundant substance in coffee. Okay, obviously water is going to be when you're drinking it. But then you've got chlorogenic acids, um, which are actually, you know, things you probably wouldn't have heard of, but basically they're made up of um, polyphenols, which are things you've probably heard of or may have heard of. I think we've probably mentioned them on the podcast as it relates to like fruits and vegetables, especially like um, dark uh, berries like blueberries and, you know, dark chocolate as well and lots of other foods, including red wine and tea and coffee. They, you've got these polyphenol compounds in there, um, chlorogenic acids in this case, along with caffeic acid, which is one of the kind of components of chlorogenic acid. Um, and they're actually health promoting as well. Uh, and we get into that. But you've also got other things. Then you've got these molecules called diterpenes and cafestal and caweal are kind of the two ones in coffee. And then you've got lots and lots of other things. Okay, lots and lots of other small bioactive compounds, including, you know, minerals that you would have heard of. But the kind of main things that we're looking at when we look at coffee our caffeine, of course, clearly has a very strong effect um, that one can feel and as well as the metabolites of caffeine. So it doesn't really stop with the caffeine. It's also what caffeine is metabolized into. And then, yeah, you've got the chlorogenic acids, you've got the caffeic acid, you've got the um, diterpenes, trigonaline, a lot, a lot more stuff. You don't need to get into all of that. But what I would just like you to be aware of is that coffee is this kind of composite liquid rather than just being a source of caffeine. And that actually becomes important when it comes to understanding things like why coffee uh, might be, you know, healthful, you know, some of the some of the effects of coffee on health are indeed mediated through um, caffeine, but there are also the other components of coffee that are involved um, in promoting health. So, you know, if you were to think of um, where you get your antioxidants and your polyphenols in the diet, coffee can actually be a very strong contributor to that, you know, um, so it shouldn't be thought of as just being caffeine in or out. It is a component of the diet fundamentally. Um, so with that said, obviously, when we talk about, you know, coffee's contributions to health as I kind of move forward in this discussion, I'd like you to think of me just discussing like black coffee. Okay, so I'm not going to suggest that, you know, if coffee is improving your health, that doesn't necessarily mean that you should be having, you know, a couple of Starbucks Frappuccinos every day. You know, obviously what you add into the coffee gives it different properties. And I think most of you would probably be aware of that. But when we kind of zoom out and we ask ourselves, you know, is coffee healthy? The simplest answer to that is yes. And the reason I would say that is because number one, I think the first level of analysis is when you look at coffee's relationship with all cause mortality. So basically your risk of dying from any cause coffee tends to uh, reduce uh, that all-cause mortality. So that's clearly a good thing. If you're concerned about um, your risk of dying from something, um, obviously it doesn't necessarily mean that if a ladder is going to fall on you, that coffee is going to prevent that, but it might because it improves your reaction time. So, I mean, you know, it's, there's potential there. Uh, but overall, you know, coffee does seem to show those like big, um, you know, big high level, of, high level of analysis. And we're looking just, just zooming out um, it lowers your risk of dying. Of course, there's there's always uh, residual questions in there. You know, like people will say things like, but is it just because uh, people who drink coffee also exercise or people who drink coffee also engage in other healthy behaviors, for example? Is that why it's happening? Um, and there's an element of that. It depends on, you know, the study that you're looking at because what happens is when you look at those kind of observational type studies or epidemiological studies, what, what, what researchers can do is they can actually account for 
the, those effects or that healthy user bias. So, you know, they'll account for things like whether or not someone smokes, whether they drink, whether they eat fruits and vegetables, etc. And when you look at studies that account for those things and you look at specific diseases and then you consider the mechanisms. So, for example, why would coffee contribute to these reductions in risk? Things do, you know, make sense. It makes sense why all of this um, why this relationship between coffee and health and lower all-cause mortality, why it would exist. Because as we take a step further and we ask ourselves, okay, if, if all-cause mortality is reduced, what are the kind of big players in that? You know, some of the big players, um, the burden of disease would be things like cardiovascular disease, okay? Cardiovascular disease is something that, you know, almost everyone has a family member who either they've suffered, suffered, they suffer from it currently, or maybe they've had a stroke or a heart attack and that's how they passed away. You know, everyone is familiar with that. And cardiovascular disease risk is reduced uh, by coffee consumption up to a certain point, of course. Um, and that's kind of what we see with a lot of like uh, coffee disease relationships is that it's kind of that moderate level of consumption, which is depending on which study you look at, it might be two to four cups or three to five cups of coffee per day. It seems like you get those benefits up to at least that level. Um, so cardiovascular disease risk is, is reduced. We have discussed um, coffee as it relates to blood pressure before, for example, we mentioned that, um, you know, coffee can acutely increase your blood pressure. Um, that effect is reduced in habitual consumers. So over time, the longer you consume coffee, uh, the less your blood pressure is going to increase. But as we also discussed in the podcast on blood pressure and in our, in our writing on blood pressure, which we also discussed coffee in, you should look at those uh, articles. Um, we mentioned the fact that, you know, the, that relationship between coffee and blood pressure and risk of hypertension can vary depending on basically your genetics. So some people can be more susceptible to uh, risk of hypertension potentially um, if they are uh, if, if they have certain genetics and they are drinking a lot of coffee okay um, and along with that then if you are already someone who has let's say high blood pressure you know if you're consuming lots and lots of coffee it might be worse like reducing your coffee consumption in those cases but we're not going to focus on blood pressure too much i just wanted to bring it up because i think that you know when people think about coffee and they think about stimulants the next kind of thing is, oh, but won't that increase my blood pressure? And it can, but overall, what we tend to see is that coffee actually tends to reduce risk of the development of high blood pressure, which is potentially due to, for example, uh, some of these molecules in coffee, their effect on the vascular system. Um, it can improve things like flow-mediated dilation um, and other things that might be beneficial for the vascular system and as a result, blood pressure. So there are effects related to that. But one of the other things that we actually posted about on our Instagram today that I think is you know, worth considering is the fact that you know, my sister actually asked me this question for the first time a few weeks ago, and I hadn't thought much about it, to be honest. And that was that, you know, does coffee increase your cholesterol? Um, and like, I'm just going to keep it real simple in terms of just saying cholesterol and not breaking everything down uh, for the purpose of this podcast. But overall, what it seems like is that coffee, if you're, if you're drinking like a Turkish style coffee, for example, um, if you've had that before, they, they basically the way they drink their coffee is, is like a mud coffee. So you'll have all the ground coffee at the bottom. Um, similar to if you were to, if you were to prepare like uh, just ground coffee and pour water into it, you're basically getting a lot more of it, of the, the compounds in there than if you were to filter it. And those compounds in particular are those diterpenes I mentioned earlier. So cafestyle and caweal, which in isolation, do increase uh, serum cholesterol, um, LDL cholesterol, LDL particle number, etc. 
and they increase them pretty significantly. And when they're contained within the coffee, as is the case in unfiltered coffee, it does seem that it increases cholesterol. So you might be concerned then about cardiovascular disease risk associated with that. However, when we look at things like um, you know, other, other methods of, of coffee, uh, of coffee uh, filtering, you could say. So if you're getting you know, an espresso and it's coming through filtered paper or your drip filtering, et cetera, that basically takes um, those molecules out of the coffee. And as a result, you don't get the same pronounced increase in cholesterol. So again, it's one of those things where, you know, if you, are, if you do have high cholesterol, your doctor has been concerned about it, um, and you are drinking a lot of unfiltered coffee, maybe it's something to worry about. But overall, given the fact that we see coffee uh, reducing overall cardiovascular disease risk, I wouldn't be concerned, you know, about, you know, just pulling back coffee for fear that it might increase my cholesterol, unless I thought that I was, you know, drinking a lot of Turkish coffee or something like that. So just, just not... Sounds- this is also one of the things that you'll see repeated uh, us repeat a lot of times in this podcast probably anyway i obviously can't see the future and yeah. um, but it's like you have to consider the population because you'll see a lot of these studies and it'll be like oh it increases your risk for this or it decreases your risk for this or it's good for this or whatever and it's like it really all depends on the specifics of what we're actually talking about both in terms of the population like if you are someone that is at a higher risk for you know having higher cholesterol levels that's obviously something that you would be like, oh, I need to pay a little bit more attention to. You know? And like Gary said, then you need to actually dig a little bit deeper in terms of like, what are they actually talking about? Like you just think, oh, a coffee is a coffee. You're like, I just go to wherever and get a coffee or make one at home. And you just assume that's the same way everyone drinks coffee around the world. Yeah. But like, it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's simply not. So like you're saying there, it's like, if you have like a French press coffee, that's obviously different than if you're making a filtered coffee like you have a, a machine that's you know a coffee making machine it's like these are actually different things and we should view that as such you know like you don't consider i don't know chips the same as crisps you know it's like yeah okay they, they come from potatoes but they are fundamentally different you know so we, we consider that yeah 100 percent um and i think like overall like when you when you when you just zoom out and you ask yourself all right coffee cardiovascular disease risk overall like if you're a healthy person like i'm not going to be concerned about reducing coffee for cardiovascular disease if anything um having coffee in your in your diet is beneficial for reducing your risk of cardiovascular disease so and this is actually this is something that actually you should just pay attention to whenever we talk about any like risk or anything like this like if there is an easy first of all, there's easier things to modify. Like for example, we've talked about it before in terms of saturated fat and cholesterol levels, right? And like, if you're not doing the, the big picture stuff, the like the bigger hitter stuff, there's no need, like don't miss the forest for the trees and focus on the, like the moss on the tree over here when it's like you literally have 50% of your fats coming from saturated fat. It's like, that's, that's probably a bigger thing to, to focus on than going, oh, should I cut my coffee intake down, you know? However, if you are, like I was saying, going to your doctor, they've been concerned about your, your cholesterol levels for, for a while now, or even if you're just a concerned individual and you're like, I just wonder where my cholesterol levels are at, even though we don't necessarily recommend just getting random testing, but just let's assume you've got some testing done and you're like, oh, I wonder where my cholesterol levels are at. You get them tested and it comes back a little bit higher and you're like, hmm, I've been doing everything supposedly right. And you go, okay, what well, I do drink, do drink like six cups of unfiltered coffee per day, then maybe that's something that I would look into 
you know, modifying, you know? So again, it comes down to if you do have something that you're worried about and you have measurable data, that's like, this is something they should be worried about. And you then do an intervention and you see a benefit. That's obviously a great resolution of the actual thing. But I don't want people to come away from this podcast and think like, Oh Jesus, man, my cholesterol levels, I'm concerned about them. And they've never even like, they're not looking after the bigger picture things. And then they've never actually got them tested. And it's like, they could be a completely healthy individual that's just concerned. Obviously, naturally, you should be concerned, but like completely overly concerned about something that it's like this, this is relatively minuscule in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. And, and just in addition to that then as well, like if you are someone with established cardiovascular disease, like if you're, you have diagnosed hypertension, your resting blood pressure is 150 over 100, um, or you've got atrial fibrillation, or you've got some other heart condition, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that this recommendation applies to you. So you should speak to your doctor about that because there are cases like atrial fibrillation, for example, where, you know, your heart basically just kind of has these more uncontrolled beats. It's a bit more chaotic in some cases. Um, if you're, if you have a heart like that, that's going to respond very differently to a high dose of stimulants. So, you know, I wouldn't be recommending um, that you go and take, you know, loads and loads of coffee in that case. But again, their matters to discuss with your doctor. We're generally assuming that we're speaking to a healthy audience when we kind of say that, yeah, three to five cups of coffee per day is, a, is, is probably fine. It seems like that has beneficial health effects. So yeah, that's the cardiovascular disease um, relationship. There are other things like, for example, uh, neurodegenerative disease, which is something that- on, Further yeah. on that uh, uh, cardiovascular disease stuff as well. And this, this is where like, again, it just, if you actually try to dig into the research, it gets really confusing and there's lots of like, Oh, but this happens, but this happens. Like obviously Gary just touched on the, the cholesterol stuff and we didn't dig too deep into it because we have other stuff to cover. But yeah. also those same diterpenes, they seem to affect lipoprotein A uh, levels. And it's like you, you get a, a change in that that's potentially beneficial. So it's like you get a negative here, but you get a positive here. It's like, which one's beneficial? Same with the triglycerides. Like they seem to go down, um, which is something that we actually will touch on later on with the performance stuff. Um, but it's like, this, this is potentially beneficial. So it's like, maybe that's like, it's a much of a muchness. It's like, you get a negative here, but you get a positive here and they kind of cancel each other out. Like, I don't have conclusive data to be able to say that that's the truth of the matter. But I'm like, it is one of those things that ultimately while we can get into the, the mechanistic weeds of this stuff, even though like, obviously this isn't truly mechanistic stuff. Like we do have to zoom out and look at the, the bigger picture of the actual population. And like Gary said, at the start of this, coffee consumption seems to decrease your risk of death full stop you know it's like all cause mortality goes down so well yeah we can get hung up and be like oh the the cholesterol thing or some other thing that we're going to mention it's like we have to actually look at the bigger picture the only reason we're mentioning these things is because some of you do have an increased risk of these issues or it's something that you either train clients with an increased risk of this, or it's something that you're just interested in learning more about um, and the, the contributors and whatever else to it. Um, but that doesn't mean that this applies for everyone. And it's like, oh, you must get rid of your, your coffee because in some individuals, they potentially get to a level of like hypercholesterolemia. It's like, that might be completely irrelevant for you you know, like your 6% body fat walking around, you only eat the, the best foods, you do aerobic work, like you do everything else perfectly. It's like, like, it's probably not a concern, like an overly concerning thing for you. Just to put that out there. Yeah, but that is actually important because I mean, like some people literally like base their fitness businesses or health businesses on 
speculative mechanisms without ever looking at outcome evidence. And I mean, like, even in, in you know, in your reading of this topic, as it relates to um, coffee and cholesterol, like you can see that there's, there's these like very clear mechanisms as to why we might see changes in cholesterol. Like there's changes in things like CETP, PLPT or PLTP and LCAT, like all those things, like they all look so like sexy when you kind of post about them. Cause it's like, Oh yeah, look, all this stuff changes. Um, and if you just leave that as it is, you can, you can say, oh, look, these things change when you measure them in serum or whatever. So as a result, that changes disease risk. But there's always such a massive leap between like those related mechanisms and the actual outcome, which in this case is cardiovascular disease incidence or an event, for example, like a heart attack or cardiovascular disease mortality. Ultimately, like I fundamentally don't care what my... Um, serum um, LCAT level is at any given moment, um, unless it actually, I can very clearly see that that affects my cardiovascular disease risk, you know, um, and if it does, then it does. But there you go. That's why we need to kind of zoom in and then zoom out and see if those things are linked. That's really what's important. Um, and the same thing applies then as you get to the level of um, the brain and neurodegenerative diseases. Um, I think that these are, these are diseases that are, you know, we don't, we often don't think of them, I think, as being lifestyle related diseases in the same way that people discuss um, cardiovascular disease and diabetes, but they very much are related to lifestyle still and, can, and the needle can be moved on them by lifestyle factors. And that includes things like Alzheimer's disease, dementia, Parkinson's disease. Once again, all of these um, neurodegenerative diseases, the risk is reduced once again by coffee consumption. Um, which is, you know, I think that's 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 fascinating to be honest. And again, it kind of it, it kind of comes back to what's actually in the coffee. And there's kind of two different things here. You've got the polyphenol content. You've got the chlorogenic acids, which have their effect um, on the brain for you know managing things like neuroinflammation and oxidative stress. Basically, the way these kind of polyphenols work is they kind of act in like a, a hormetic manner. They kind of act as a stressor, and it kind of upregulates um, your body's ability to deal with you know subsequent stressors. And that are gonna that are gonna take place, and I think that's something that's just worth like taking a side note, a mental note on, is that you know when we look at how different compounds affect the body, sometimes they can give the body a stressful response, which can seem bad, but the adaptation to that is actually beneficial for longer term health. That so that's that's interesting when it comes to things like polyphenols because they're not essential. Like these are not essential nutrients. There's no like RDA for these things, but rather they're kind of uh, life promoting or life prolonging uh, because they help you to live a longer life, which is obviously a good thing. And that's particularly the case when it comes to neurodegenerative disease, because like if any, like out of the like, cardiovascular disease, you know, you have a heart attack and not to say that that's not that bad. It is pretty bad, but, and you might, you might die or there might be subsequent morbidity, but God, like neurodegenerative disease, especially like Alzheimer's disease, is absolutely catastrophic. You know, like my own grandmother has Alzheimer's disease. Um, they actually had it on both sides, but it's they're, they're horrible diseases for people to have to live with um, because it can basically take, it's not necessarily that it might cut your life short, it can, but someone can live for 20 years and become someone that they basically, that are they're unrecognizable to the, from the person um, they used to be, you know? And um, so bringing it back to the effects of coffee, coffee reduces um, the risk that these diseases will take place. And that's related to things like um, the caffeine itself. So for example, uh, caffeine 
caffeine is centrally acting. It acts on the central nervous system and it acts within the brain. It blocks the, uh, or it's antagonistic to the adenosine receptors. There's multiple different types of those receptors and they can basically interact with things like uh, dopamine signaling within the brain or dopaminergic neurotransmission. And if you think about like dopamine, one of the things that comes to mind when you think about dopamine is Parkinson's disease. Like that's basically the central feature of Parkinson's disease um, is the loss of dopaminergic neurons. And what can happen in Parkinson's disease and the relationship with coffee is that coffee can actually preserve things like motor function, for example, and because of its interactions with the adenosine receptors within key areas um, of, the, of the, the basal ganglia and the brain generally, that will ha- that help with movement. Um, so overall, when we look at the neurodegenerative diseases, um, you've got these, these actions that can help with uh, preventing um, the onset of Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease and dementia generally, but can potentially improve function in those cases. So, you know, in, in Alzheimer's disease, you might be asking, all right, does it potentially uh, reduce the accumulation of amyloid beta, which is something that's potentially important for Alzheimer's disease? But not only that, you wouldn't just be asking about pathophysiology, you'd also be asking it, you know, in the case that someone has an established neurodegenerative disease, what happens with coffee then? Can it, can it improve the person's symptoms? Um, and it seems like uh, there is a place uh, for coffee in, in that relationship. So overall, I think when you're looking at neurodegenerative disease, the effect of coffee on the brain, it seems to be pretty positive once again. Um, and again, you know, we don't, we don't think of these things when we're young, like neurodegenerative disease, it seems so far away, but, you know, having more coffee in the diet, having polyphenols generally, you know, things like blueberries and dark skin berries are particularly beneficial as well. They seem to be great for, for longer term brain health. So, so yeah, anything to add on the, the just, just on that, like, you might not be thinking about this now as you're younger, whatever, but these effects do also become apparent for like, just I'll say normal functioning people. Like you still sure. get these uh, uh, brain related phenomena going on in terms of like this dopamine signaling and stuff. Like this is why you, you have coffee and potentially, you know, your memory is more uh, acute. Yeah. You're, you're, you're better memory. You better like mental performance. And like Ari was saying, um, you have better like, we'll say motor function. Like that stuff is also relevant to like training and stuff, you know, like if you have better reaction times, better hand-eye coordination, different things like better motor control and um, because of caffeine consumption, like that's uh, like something that affects you day to day right now, you know? So even though you're not thinking of like, Oh, what's going to happen? Like, 10 years down the line, whatever, 20 years, I don't know what age you are listening to this. And hopefully it's a long way off if it ever does happen. Um, but it does also affect you right now, like uh, immediate effects or even like we'll say short term effects. However, what I also want to get across is that, and we talked about it, well, mentioned it previously before on the uh, podcast on sleep in terms of like sleep is probably the most neuroprotective thing you can do. And unfortunately, caffeine also seems to interact with your ability to sleep through that mechanism for one that guy went through in terms of like that adenosine uh, signaling and stuff. Um, and also in terms of like, it's a, it's a stimulant in and of itself. So, you know, you're not exactly likely to get great restful sleep if you've been pounding a load of caffeine, you know? So we have this kind of antagonistic thing going on here where like caffeine well i should say coffee overall because it's not just caffeine and coffee overall is beneficial for you know we'll say neurological stuff um in a lot of areas and it seems to be beneficial right but 
your intake could be so high that it's interfering with your sleep, which is again, that bigger picture thing. And so we don't want to lose sight of what's actually contributing to like benefits in our life. Cause you might be like, yeah, man, I'm going to, in my family, they all get Alzheimer's. So I'm going to be hammering six coffees per day. And as a result, you're only sleeping like six hours of broken sleep per night. You know, it's like you're missing the forest for the trees because like the sleep is the, the, the big picture thing. So we don't want our caffeine intake or sorry, I keep saying caffeine, our coffee intake to get to a level that it interferes with our sleep overall. And that's obviously like something that permeates throughout all of the health stuff. Like if you're drinking so much coffee that it's interfering with your sleep, like sleep interacts with pretty much every facet of health. So like that's not a beneficial health you're, or you're not getting a beneficial, beneficial health outcome if you impact on your sleep then. You know, so it is this double-edged sword where it's like, like you're getting benefits by drinking this, but also it's very easy to tip over into a a poor risk to reward ratio if you are over consuming it. And this is something we were just, just touching on before we got on the podcast. Like a lot of people are actually like addicted to coffee, right? And it is a lot mediated through some of these like, like dopamine signaling um, and other like brain related stuff where you get this positive reinforcement. Like you have a coffee and you get these like psychoactive effects and these mood boosting effects. Right. And that can be really beneficial because again, it makes you, you know, want to study more or, you know, want to engage in work or want to engage in like meaningful, whatever it is throughout your life, you know, or even training in context we're going to talk about in a second. Well, a little bit further on, like that can be all beneficial stuff. Right. But you can get to a stage where you become addicted to that like stimulus in terms of it's like oh i can't go about my day without a coffee you know like i I couldn't even start my day without a coffee and it's like that's that's not a beneficial position to be in where you're effectively addicted to a substance like if like i was just saying to gary before this like if someone said to you i can't get through my day without having a cigarette you'd be like oh you're addicted to cigarettes you know so that's you can get to that stage with coffee and that's not something that I'm too concerned about because it's relatively harmless, if not p- very potentially beneficial. Like, as we said at the start, seems to be related to reductions in all cause mortality. So I'm like, oh, you're addicted to something that's going to extend your life. I'm like, great. You know, however, like that can obviously get to a bad position where you are addicted to this stu- substance and you just start ignoring all the negatives that are occurring because of your addiction to this substance. You're like, oh, it's fine that I only get five hours of sleep because that's just a shorter time until my next coffee. You know, know? it's like you just start getting this positive reinforcement of all these bad habits. And as a result, you're actually getting negative health outcomes because you're drinking a substance that is potentially addictive for some people. Um, And again, it's like, that's that's not a good position to be in. Now, that's obviously not going to occur for most people. Most people are going to be like, oh yeah, I had two coffees today. I was a bit too jittery. So I I cut back the next day or whatever. You know, most people are going to be able to really rather easily regulate their intake. However, a lot of people also, especially if we come into like winter uh, months and stuff where people's mood is a bit lower, you know, it's it's cold out, you want a warm drink or whatever. And um, you can easily find yourself, especially with people like working from home nowadays and whatever else, like you can easily find yourself, you know, four o'clock in the day or something. And you're like, oh yeah, I've already had five coffees, but uh, you know what? I wouldn't mind another one, you know? And it's like these kind of habits that build up, like that can be hard to knock in the future, but also that can impact on your sleep, which then we can start impacting on other health effects that 
or you know health outcomes that we don't want to impact on in terms of it's a negative uh, effect and um, even though we're justifying it to ourselves because we read a lot of studies that gave this like potential increase or you know, decrease in risk for a certain disease or whatever you know so we have to keep the big picture in mind especially when it comes to sleep and coffee and that interaction there yeah 100 percent. and i think that like individual level of analysis is something that's really important particularly as it relates to um coffee because like when it comes to coffee and, and caffeine specifically like the metabolism of caffeine is basically governed by the the CYP1A2 um enzymes and they're susceptible to variation between individuals. So you can have varying rates of the metabolism of caffeine um, between people. And as a result, you can have a different response. You can have different um, half-life of caffeine. So for one person, you know, they might find that having a coffee at 12 noon like hammers their sleep and stops them from being able to get to sleep. They're up all night twiddling their thumbs, their mind is racing, etc. Another person might be able to have a coffee before bed and you know it, it barely even tickles them. They're able to get to sleep. It's no problem. And that that second person may still have effects on their sleep, like qualitatively, if you were to actually assess it. But overall, there's clearly something that's different between those two individuals. So you do need to, you know, be cognizant of that stuff. If you can't just say, oh, I read a study that said, you know, on average, coffee is healthful. If it's clearly taking away from your health and it's part of an overall kind of pathological lifestyle, like, for example, if you're, you know, just trying to drink more coffee to stay up later at night to, to just get through the day because you're not sleeping enough, then that's not something that's going to be beneficial. And another example of that would be, um, this was actually a question that came in from one of my own clients. He, he said, yes, that we answer it on the, on the podcast since we're on the, the kind of neurological and psychological stuff um, and that's the the issue of anxiety as it relates to um, coffee consumption because it does seem like people who have um, anxiety uh, they suffer with anxiety generalized anxiety disorder or whatever and um, that they they are more susceptible to the response or to be more responsive uh, to caffeine and it can exacerbate um, pre-existing anxiety so again that's something you assess in an individual level if you know that anxiety is something that you've struggled with long term and when you have caffeine, that makes it worse. And that's particularly the case, like on an empty stomach, you can, you can get more of those effects. And then that might be something to be mindful of. You know, it might be the case that you don't have your coffee on an empty stomach, or it might be the case that you actually just, you know, have decaf or, or, or you just avoid coffee altogether. If it's something that really makes it um, a, a negative experience for you, because obviously you don't want to be, if you're struggling with anxiety, you don't want to you know, have coffee in the morning and then feel like you're totally jittering and you're anxious about getting to work and it's just, everything's like an awful experience. And um, that's not something that, that you'd want to do. So, so yes, uh, to answer the question, um, coffee and, and caffeine can exacerbate um, anxiety for some people. It seems, it seems like there's a variable susceptibility to that. And that's why I was in that position myself. I would be concerned about assessing my own individual response. Um, you know, if, if, if it's not something that seems to be a major effect for you, I probably wouldn't be too concerned about it. Um, in some cases, you could argue that, you know, if, if suddenly you think that this thing is going to make you anxious, that there might be a, an, a, an anxiety-promoting effect of that thought in the first place. But yeah, that's, that would be my answer to, to that question anyway. Um, I 100% agree. And just, just further to that, like a lot of this is going to be mediated by the fact that this is like a, a stimulant and you are getting yeah. like, We'll call it like SNS activation, like the 
the sympathetic nervous system activation, which for other people, that's the effect they're looking for from yeah. coffee. So it's like, this is, this is very much a, you know, individualized discussion, like everything in the diet. It's like, why are you including this in your diet? It's not like, Oh, I read a study and maybe this may apply to me. It's like, no, you have to do this on an individual level. Cause again, talking about these, like we'll say psychoactive type uh, effects, like there's potentially antidepressive effects from coffee consumption, you know? So you as an individual might be like, I'm more prone towards like depressive thoughts. So a coffee might lead to uh, not I'm going to say a, a cure of depression, but might lead to uh, a reduction in your depressive feelings, you know? So it's like, that might be beneficial for you, you know? But again, like I said, like in the case of anxiety, you know, which is, we'll say it's a, a more stress related um, disease. And then it's like something that is a stressor, like that we know is a known like additive stressor. It's not like something that is a, we'll call it you stress in terms of it's like, it's a beneficial stress, even though obviously we're saying there's benefits to coffee, but in terms of like, say you do training, you go, go for a run or do some resistance training while it might be a stressor there. And then it's like over time, this is a beneficial stressor to the body and it actually helps you deal with anxiety. You know, it's like, that's not necessarily the same case with coffee. So again, there's, there's nuance here and you have to look at your individual response to coffee. Like how does it make you feel, perform whatever else um, and obviously this would also be ideal if you could get someone else who's more objective because as i said has potential addictive properties so you're going to be like yeah i feel great on this even though you're literally, literally riddled with anxiety it's like okay maybe like get someone else to assess this this is also the case like some people get like really irritable if they drink coffee in terms of it's like later on in the day when the coffee is starting to like or the caffeine levels in their blood are starting to go down. They're just getting real irritable. Same as like people who try to come off caffeine, like they get really irritable and you know, they're just, they're not fun to be around. And like, again, like you're going to have to assess if that's you. And then you're going to have to come up with a strategy to overcome that. Like if it's a case that around three o'clock every single day, you get really irritable because your blood caffeine levels are, are, are diminishing. It's like, that's probably not a great way to be overall. Like every single day, it's like, for half the day, everyone around you irritates you. I'm like, I'd probably just, you know, spend a week or two and get off the coffee. So that's not something that you have to deal with every single day of your life, you know? And if it is the case that it's like, oh, when you get off coffee, it's like, I'm irritable throughout the entire day. Then it's like, okay, like I'd either go get some sort of like psyche, psychological help. I was going to say psychiatric help. That's a bit, a bit reckless, but uh, get some like psychological help to help you like like deal with these things or again maybe dose caffeine twice per day you have a lower dose in the morning and a lower dose in the afternoon so you have a more even flow throughout the day you know and also same with the anxiety things it's like you can also start doing stuff like you know combining like l-theanine with your your coffee consumption to potentially help with that anxiety like l-theanine is a, a compound found in like teas and stuff but also you can just buy it as a supplement and like that's anxiolytic and um, so that could be potentially uh, 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 something that you layer on top of your coffee consumption if you do notice that it is inducing anxiety. My, I, I probably wouldn't get into polypharmacy basically, where it's like, oh, I take this for you know my mood boosting, and I take this for the anxiolytic effects because this thing causes me anxiety. It's like like you're just getting into this thing where it's like, oh, this has one side effect I don't like, so I'm going to you know hammer this other drug and this other stimulant and this other whatever it's like that's not a great position to be in i would probably just not consume the thing that's giving you anxiety 
Or you can go in the opposite direction and say, oh, I love this caffeine buzz. Let's throw some amphetamines on there on top, you know, get, get things going, you know. Um, this advice, Gary. <laughs> do not recommend. In the last podcast, someone actually was laughing about us uh, recommending uh, drugs. So um, We yeah, have never recommended drugs in our life. Gary. We're continuing the trend. <laughs> anyway, um, look, um, kind of pillar of the, the health discussion, I guess, and this definitely isn't the end of it, I guess, but um, in terms of like the, the big players, as we said, we said neurodegenerative disease, cardiovascular disease. The other thing is, of course, um, cancer, which everyone is, uh, people are often concerned about when it comes to diet. You know, they're thinking about, you know, how does this, this specific ingredient, this food preservation method, etc. how do these things affect cancer? And I think, um, you know, one of the things I came across the other day was some post from someone on Facebook who I actually know, and they were saying like, uh, oh, you know, drug companies come up with, uh, they just came up with this vaccine for COVID-19 so quickly, like, why can't we have a cure for cancer? Um, and like, the thing, the thing to understand here, guys, is that like, the word cancer, like, it, it's, it, it, it basically means, it's like saying, you know, food, you know, what does that actually mean? You know, what, what, what are we actually talking about? Like, what, what food? How did you cook it? Et cetera. Ca- cancer is just a massive, massive umbrella term for so, so, so many different diseases that kind of have some things in common. Like lots of the things aren't actually in common between the different types of so-called cancers. You know, basically they're diseases of uncontrolled growth, you could say. Um, but they vary so widely, and depending on organ system, depending on the specific, the cause, the the genetics, etc. So many different things. Um, and just so on, on top of that, it's like a lot of the things. Like if you were to come up with a cure for cancer, it's like a lot of the things that we would be targeting in that cure. It's like these are beneficial things in other contexts. Like a lot of the stuff that we do for like muscle growth. I'm like, if we just stopped all those things, it's like, yeah, that would affect cancer. It's like, like it's it's not it's not as easy as like oh, this is a disease, so it has disease things going on. You know, it's like, like people think of like angiogenesis, you know, it's like, oh, cancer, bad. But if I think of it in terms of like the vascular response to like aerobic exercise and like vascularization of your like calf muscles or something, it's like, oh, great, you know? So it's like, it's just a really hard thing to deal with overall. Like there's no like vaccine for it. Yeah. And with that said, there are actually some vaccines for certain types of cancers. Yeah. And for the, for the record, there are many, 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 many different types of drugs that have improved the treatment of cancer. But the notion of a cure for cancer just doesn't really make sense. Like it doesn't make sense if you know what, what cancer is. You know? But anyway, the, the point of me saying that was not to open up a discussion about cancer. Absolutely not. But just to say that when we talk about like the diet cancer relationship, like it's really, really complicated. Like, for example, if you're talking about like uh, colorectal cancer, for example, it kind of makes sense, you know, that there'd be things related to diet very clearly because, all right, we've got these exposures of food and how you cook it, etc., within the gut. And that might affect uh, certain cells within the gut when the food is passing through there. It's kind of clear, you know, but as we move to things like uh, the bladder or the prostate, etc., you know, it's, it's, it's maybe not so clear. So, so all these things depend on the organ system. But overall, what you tend to see um, with coffee consumption, again, is that you get a reduction in all site incidence of cancer. So um, on average, across all sites, it reduces um, your risk of cancer. So again, overall, a positive thing. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that there's the same uh, level of risk reduction. 
um, at each specific cancer site. You know, we were even saying before the podcast that, you know, teasing out the, the specifics of, of each type of cancer is very challenging as it relates to coffee. You know, you've got all these stuff, you've got some studies that are like, you know, in, in Petri dishes where you just treat these isolated cells, like isolated hepatocytes or something like that. And you have this increase um, in, in cancer risk. Um, but that's, that's isolated cells. And then when you actually look at that same organ system, um, as it relates to coffee consumption in humans, you see a reduction in risk. So it's like, oh, this is a lot more complicated. But overall, just, I think... Just, yeah, just like we were going on about previously, it's like, like you can look at these and you can find... Like I was looking at a, a meta-analysis from 2016 and Gary was looking at one from 2017. And they're pretty much asking a very similar question. And it's like, the one that I was reading was like, oh yes, uh, cancer or co- coffee consumption seems to be associated with like cancer proliferation proliferation in all of these cells, you know? And it's like, you look at that and you go, all right, never drinking coffee again, right? But then you look at another one and it's like, oh, let's actually look at the end outcome, right? Like the one that Gary was looking at, it was like, hey, let's look at this again in these organ system cells, whatever. And it's like, oh, we seem to see a, a reduction in the actual risk, like the actual mortality from these diseases. It's like, this, like if you're just a, a lay person trying to read this, it's like you could you could easily be misled. And obviously, even like if you're not a lay person, like just a normal person trying to read this, like as a, a researcher or as someone who's just interested in this stuff, you could read that and be like, all right, look, this seems to be supporting this side of the argument, you know? And this is why we were saying at the start, is like, yeah, you can get granular with this stuff and look at the really fine detail. And you know, we are obviously a fan of that. But we always have to keep that in the context of okay, let's zoom out and let's look at this, you know? Like the only one that I would be like, potentially from my reading, uh, seeing an increase in risk is the, the colorectal cancer one, which again, like Gary said, like that kind of makes sense. But again, it's like, that is that for everyone? And are we missing the forest for the trees? Like, again, that's not something that like, that's my first line of defense. I'm not going to be like, oh, there's colorectal cancer in your family. Let's coffee get rid of it and it's like there's so many other things that you could potentially be doing way ahead of that like for example like getting your fiber in a good place <laughs> you know it's like that's probably far more important to consider than even looking at your your coffee consumption you know so it's like there's there's not only just like levels to this in terms of it's like oh let's look at this from the, the bigger picture it's also like there's layers to this that you know do the big things first before you start focusing on the the minutiae that it's like, oh, cool. And you'll see this when we talk about the performance stuff as well, where it's like this, the actual effect, like it's not so huge that you'd be like, like, yeah, it's significant. You know, when a scientist uses significant, that just means like it's reached a certain threshold that they're like, this isn't just random error, you know? But when a, like any normal person uses the term significant, we go, oh, that's a significant thing like it's like that's a, that's a big thing you know and yeah. there obviously there's a disconnect there between what you read in the science and what you actually are thinking in the real world you know and that's something that you have to consider when you are actually trying to you know interpret this information because you know like we're not gods or anything like we could say something here and be like from our cursory reading of the the the, the literature be like oh this effect or whatever but again like we could be like we're not infallible like we could be like oh there's actually a, a bigger risk than we thought from this you know like i didn't dig into every single paper like you know like i I didn't spend 40 hours preparing for this one hour or whatever podcast you know what i mean so it's like there's there's people that do this for a living and they're obviously going to have a more nuanced opinion than us but again it's like you just have to pick your battles and 
understand the big picture, understand the little pictures and um, the, 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 the smaller things. But then it's like, let's actually look at the outcomes, you know? And this is something as a biochemist, even though I was slagging neuroscientists the other day, um, <laughs> we also have to bring in the epidemiologists because realistically, all of our research would be pretty useless unless we had epidemiologists to be like, hmm, is this actually impactful in the real world? You know, now we can argue about their methods all we want, and I'm all for that, but we still do need them. Yeah. Um, so on the health front, the purpose of going through those kind of, I guess, three big broad categories was to demonstrate the fact that on average, coffee is a healthful thing to include in diet in moderate amounts. Of course, um, your individual concerns might vary and again that's something you have to pay attention to yourself but the reason we wanted to lead off with that part of the conversation was one so that you'd have to stay around first to listen to the uh, performance of body composition stuff but also because like i think that like generally people feel like kind of guilty like it's kind of like a pop culture thing like coffee's like made out as being something that is i think negative like you don't really get that vibe from like pop culture that uh coffee is a healthful thing in the diet and often when people talk about their coffee consumption they kind of talk about it as something that's like almost shameful like in a kind of giddy way it's like oh another coffee look at me you know like whereas in fact yeah i'm so mad like look at me um and while look while there are like potentially pathological elements to as we said you know just drinking coffee all night so you can stay up and do work and you know if you're having coffee with cigarettes and if you're you're just relying on it and you're not eating well etc you know they might be part of maybe an unhealthful lifestyle but overall i think coffee is not something you need to feel guilty about consuming and it's not something you need to give up just for you know the sake of health you know if you want to give up coffee because you want to resensitize to it um, or you don't want to, you know, feel dependent on something, um, or, you know, you just want to have a period of time where you just have these more level uh, energy levels. Let's say you might've noticed that your energy levels are real fluctuant and they're always kind of dependent on caffeine, etc. They're all valid reasons for sure. You know, you might've identified that, you know, your blood pressure tends to be way up when you drink coffee, you know, and you might be more anxious, etc. There's individual level effects, but overall, I wouldn't encourage people to feel guilty um, about drinking coffee for their health. I think overall, probably doing a pretty good thing for your health. And it's one of those rare examples where something we really want to do and we feel compelled to do happens to actually be healthful, you know. 100%. The only one I want to add on to the health stuff before we move on to the performance stuff is that coffee consumption seems to be associated with reduced bone mineralization in terms of like bone density, you know. That's, that is something that's potentially more relevant to certain people in the overall population. However, again, when we zoom out, it's like they don't, it doesn't seem to be associated with increased risk of like fractures and stuff like that. So it's like, that's for me as a male, I'm like, I don't really care. <laughs> you know, like I also engage in like heavy lifting. Like I, like my skeletal system is in, in is in a good place, you know? But if I was someone that was potentially female, first of all, and especially if they were like amenorrheic, then potentially that's a, a bigger concern, you know? So again, we have to nuance the, the overall discussion. However, again, I don't know. I'm, again, I'm not a, a, 
a bone scientist. You know, it might be such a, a minuscule thing to worry about um, that, again, it's, it's kind of, is it the small picture thing that we're not really looking at the overall big picture? Like, are you getting enough calcium in your diet? Because like most people just aren't. They're like, oh yeah, I just, I just don't, you know? Um, and also it's like, is this such a huge concern that, you know, I've literally seen in the, the literature where it's like, you know, have some milk with your coffee and all of the effects are gone. You know, it's like this, like, is this relevant then, you know, where it's like a little bit of milk in your coffee fixes the entire issue. I'm like, it's probably not that big of an issue. Just get a little bit more calcium in your diet or milk in general, we'll say, then you're, you're all good to go. However, I'm not going to condone drinking milk with your coffee because quite frankly, that's a travesty. So we're in that situation where, again, you have to make up your own minds. We recommend black coffee around here, just yes. just black. Um, but anyway, that's that's the health stuff done. The next thing then we want to go on to is the performance stuff. And this is this is actually, again, it's where a situation where there's there's clearly benefits. But also, I think the, the health and fitness industry overall has... Uh, an enamoration we'll call it uh, or they're overly enamored with coffee because it is something that you can generally feel right and a lot of the stuff that we do in the health and fitness industry is based on the fact that oh i felt that right for example like generally you'll find the two biggest ingredients in pre-workouts i shouldn't say biggest but the two most frequent ingredients in pre-workouts are caffeine and beta alanine right and the reason is Beta alanine gives you this paresthesia where you get this tingling, you know, and as a result, you're like, oh, this pre-workout is clearly kicking in. This pre-workout clearly works because I'm getting this tingling, right? And the same with caffeine, you know, you take caffeine before your workout, either from coffee or from a pre-workout, and you start feeling a bit more hyped up, you know, you're like, oh yeah, like uh, you, you have a big dose of caffeine, you know, um, but that that's not necessarily conducive to results you know it's like yeah okay cool you can feel this but is it actually doing a huge amount and again as i said earlier on in this podcast like the the actual magnitude of effect like even though it's significant like that's significant in terms of a a scientist's perspective that's not significant in terms of like your everyday perspective but there is nuance to this discussion so i just wanted to touch on a few things just about how coffee or caffeine whatever way you want to look at it because the other compounds in coffee are pretty poorly researched in terms of their effects on performance, you know, like there might be, but again, I like from what I read, what I saw either there was just nothing on the, the compound or it was like, this is like, this is not research that I'm going to lay my hat on and be like, yes, this is great research, you know? And so we're basically talking about caffeine when we talk about this, but obviously you can get that from different forms. You can get that from an energy drink. You can get that from coffee. You can get that from a pre-workout, et cetera, you know? Um, But basically coffee is working for sports performance or performance in general, because a lot of this does also apply to the performance you would engage in, in terms of like studying for a test or completing a test or whatever. Like a lot of the stuff is, there's a lot of crossover in that, right? Um, but obviously we're going to focus more on the, we'll call it the sports performance side of things, right? So as we stated earlier on, coffee is a, a stimulant or caffeine is a stimulant, both uh, working on that nervous system level, like that uh, sympathetic nervous system. And then obviously further attenuating or further 
pushing the effects of adrenaline, like it's, it's, it's increasing the effects or increasing the amount of adrenaline and cortisol, which is potentially beneficial in the, the shorter term, but obviously not beneficial in the longer term. That's not a nuanced uh, statement that I made, but for the discussion we're having here now, that it makes sense, right? Um, so it's a stimulant and it also makes you feel less tired, both by virtue of the fact that it's a stimulant and obviously by virtue of the fact, as we said earlier on, like it's interacting with those adenosine receptors in the brain. So again, potentially makes you feel more wakeful, which again is potentially very beneficial in the context of you had a poor night's sleep, but you still have to perform in this training session. It's like caffeine could potentially be something that I would look to supplement with then, whether it's from coffee or a caffeine supplement. You know, it's like, again, the discussion around that is nuanced when you would use it. That's probably not something we're going to get overly get into in this, like the actual, like, oh, I would take it here. I wouldn't take it here. You know, it's like, that's, that's you know, co get coaching if you want to get that information. <laughs> um, then obviously, again, as I said earlier on, has psychoactive mood boosting effects, which you might not initially think of in terms of a performance or a sports performance context. But two things, first of all, you have to actually get to the training session, you know? So if you're like, oh, I'm just not motivated. I'm just not whatever. It's like, uh, getting into this ritual of having like a pre-workout or having coffee before you do it. It's like both the ritual is like self-fulfilling, like you engage in the ritual and then, you know, you get the, the effects of that. And then obviously the caffeine, the coffee itself is giving you this mood boosting effect where, you know, it's, it's putting you in a better state of mind to actually go do your workout, you know? So that's potentially beneficial potentially makes you enjoy the training more and in the the context of like actual sports and to an extent like uh like weightlifting um there there are those performance benefits that we were talking about in terms of you know motor control memory like the brain related stuff like we don't necessarily always think about that in terms of a sport or a, a sport context if you are coming from a a gym perspective but if you're coming from uh, like an actual sport where you know coordination actually matters like Coordination doesn't really matter on leg press, you know, like it's like, yeah, you need a, a certain level of coordination, but if you're, I don't know, doing some fucking balance beam work because you're a gymnast, I'm like, yeah, coordination matters. There's, there's levels to this, <laughs> you know, and it also affects glycogen storage in terms of it increases glycogen storage, coffee, I mean, and so again, that's potentially beneficial and it's potentially beneficial for multiple sports, but also for just day-to-day -day activity and it affects body temperature. It increases your body temperature, which again, that is something that is aligned with better sports performance, obviously up to a point, like if you're, I don't know, hundred degrees Celsius, like that's probably not going to be beneficial for sports, you know, um, or life, <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like, there's, there's a certain point where like being a little bit warmer is more beneficial. That's why we do a warm up. Coffee obviously helps with that. You know, like if I was training, like I know when I used to train like really early in the morning, like half five, like I'm, definitely notice a difference between having a coffee and not having a coffee and um, even if sleep was standardized you know because again it's like there's a stimulant effect there's also this you know warming of the body effect and um, and like we live in ireland and ireland's pretty cold relatively speaking um, and then also you get this increased lipolysis which is like we'll call it fat burning which again you might remember from the was it the last episode we did maybe two episodes ago can't really remember and um, we talked about like lipolysis, like fat burning. So caffeine increases fat burning. That doesn't necessarily mean that it increases like fat loss. And um, so go back and listen to that podcast. Um, 
but that's obviously beneficial in terms of certain sports, which we'll get into now. Do you have anything else to add to that in terms of how caffeine or coffee works? And like just just one thing at the level of the muscle is that it can it can also like directly increase um, calcium release within the muscle cell, which can be beneficial for for resistance training. Obviously, so that's something that that's worth throwing there too. Good man yourself. Um, but yeah, anyway, so in terms of actual performance increases, like caffeine is far more effective for endurance and performance, right? So if you are like a, a long distance runner or you engage in a sport that is more endurance based, like we'll call it more aerobic based, then caffeine is going to be more beneficial than if you were to be engaged in a sport that is like anaerobic based, right? And um, which is kind of converse to what you actually think about because you see all these people going to the gym and they're like, oh yeah, I chug my pre-workout that has like 400 milligrams of caffeine in it and like you're like double scooping it and whatever else, but you don't exactly see like marathon runners going like, oh yeah, I have this like 400 milligram like double scoop pre-workout, you know, even though that would actually be more beneficial for them. However, having said that, like all of those um, like uh, sports gels and like, goos and whatever else like most of them include caffeine in it because uh, first of all it's great marketing in terms of people feel it they're like oh yeah i had this uh, carbohydrate sports gel or whatever halfway through the race and then i noticed my energy was great after that and it's like yeah of course it was because you just had 100 milligrams of caffeine like <laughs> you know so again it's great marketing and but also it is performance boosting for that sport like it's also clever science you know and um, but yeah so i just wanted to say that that it is more beneficial for aerobic stuff or endurance stuff now obviously there are things that you know straddle the border between like anaerobic and aerobic like if you play soccer you know where it's like repeated sprint efforts while you are sprinting and that would be considered anaerobic the fact that you do it repeatedly it's like this becomes more and more aerobic you know, especially the shorter the interval is between those sprints. So in that context, you might also be like, this is a, an anaerobic sport, but it's like, because it goes on for 90 minutes and well, technically longer, it's like, you might actually get more benefit from this, uh, from caffeine, from coffee, even for that sport. And this is the same with, um, we'll call them uh, multi-event sports. Like if you're doing a sport that has you competing all day like if you do brazilian jiu-jitsu and it's a big competition and you have like four or five rounds and then potentially you're in the i don't know the open as well it's like you could be there for whatever six eight hours of actually competing and not always like not actually competing for six to eight hours but like actually competing or sorry just competing multiple times throughout the day like having some sort of like drip feed of caffeine throughout the day and keep like because it increases performance in the aerobic context that could be beneficial same for stuff like crossfit even though it's generally more anaerobic the fact that you're doing multi-events in a day it's like this could be beneficial however we have to keep in mind that it is a, a, a stimulant a central nervous system stimulant so it's like you don't really want to be in that jacked up hyped up um position all day long if you've like four events you know it's like that's that's something that we have to consider so if you are going to be doing using it for a longer duration like longer day event i'd be like i would definitely look to have a, a lower dose if that's the case you know i wouldn't be like oh i'm going to have 200 milligrams or more of caffeine before every single one of these fights or events or whatever it is it's like you end up having like three grams of caffeine per day you know it's like that's that's not a great place to be in 
right? Because you're just going to have a, a very hard time recovering the next day, which is something that we'll get onto in, in a second. Um, but yeah, I just want to say for, for strength and power, like it's kind of meh, like, eh, like uh, it's not something that I would write home about. Like you do definitely see benefits and you also see real conflicting stuff where it's like, oh, uh, it's a benefit for the upper body strength and if there's no benefit for lower body strength and stuff like that. And you're like, like, I don't know how to interpret that. Like, is this just people getting more hyped up for like, I don't know, upper body strength or lower body strength or whatever it is. It's like, like it's, it's very meh research. And then also a lot of the research is done in stuff that's like one to three reps in terms of it's like, Oh, it increased performance and on a three rep max, which is first of all, not how the vast majority of people are training. Like not everyone's going into the gym to, try to hit a new three rep max every single day. You know, it's like, that's, that's not how they're actually, you know, training. So while it might be important in a performance context in terms of a testing day, you know, it's like I'm doing my three rep max and like, okay, caffeine seems to potentially benefit that. Right. But in the context of just your average training, I don't know if that I would put that across as the same benefit for someone doing like five reps or eight reps or 12 reps or whatever else, you know, it's like, I, I don't see the, the potential benefit there. Oh, I do see potential benefit there, but also I'm like, it makes more sense that you would get more of a benefit from the, the lower rep ranges or more of the, the very short duration events or reps or whatever it is. Because again, it is this, this, this stimulant, you know, when you're getting these increases in like overall catecholamine. So you're more hyped for that. And obviously you have better like motor control, motor function, whatever else. So it's like, yeah, I could make an argument that, you know, something in the, the one to six second mark might be, uh, might be getting more benefit from coffee. But, you know, if you're doing a set the last two minutes, like maybe then after that, it's like you get more benefit from it. So, but if you're in this kind of middle ground, this in-between ground that like resistance training is, like it, it's not something that I'm going to be like, yeah, that's, it's definite performance improver. However, like it might, because again, it's working through this aerobic benefits, um, and it's glycogen, you know, increases glycogen storage, we'll say, and also increases lipolysis to the use of fat. And um, you maybe might be able to get more reps throughout your overall workout. So you might actually get more work done in a, a given session, you know, and you also might be a bit more, uh, we'll call it ready to go halfway through the workout when normally you would be, you know, kind of a bit, you know, faltering, like you've already done, like whatever, we'll say, six to 10 heavy sets by then. And, you know, you're getting through halfway through your workout. And normally if you didn't have coffee or caffeine, you'd be kind of like energy levels slumping a little bit. And now because you had caffeine, you're able to keep that higher performance throughout the whole workout. So again, even with all that said, like you might get more volume and that obviously might accumulate over time. It's still kind of meh in my opinion, because yeah, okay. You might get more benefit in that one session, but you also have to recover harder from that one session, which is something that caffeine doesn't exactly help with, you know, like it is also um, contributing to your overall stress bucket, we'll call it. And it's like, you now have to recover harder because you stressed yourself more in that session. Like you'll see people like having like 600 milligrams of caffeine before a workout. And it's like, this is, this is not okay. Not, not every single one of your workouts needs to be like a pure world beating session. You know, like you should be strategic in your use of, of caffeine, you know? Um, so again, like I'm not, I'm not saying it's bad. 
but I'm kind of just saying it's, it's, it's met like for endurance. I'd be like, yeah, like it's a no brainer. You know, that's one of the big hitters, but for like strength and power, I'm like, yeah, you can definitely find research to be like, this is beneficial. Or again, you can make mechanistic arguments, but the overall magnitude of effect versus the overall magnitude of effect on recovery. I'm kind of just like, it's, it's not, it's not something that I would be, you know, writing home about. Would you agree with that, Gary? Yeah. Um, I think like, I think on average, yeah, I would, I would be in, in favor of the use of coffee and or caffeine before uh, resistance training. I think that like in terms of the recovery element, I think that you, there's kind of, there's kind of two parts to it. Um, on one hand, the, the amount of, like, like you say, if you're going to use the dose of caffeine that are often used in resistance training studies, which is actually recklessly high, to be honest, mm. um, and is, 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 is beyond, to be honest, the, the caffeine level we would have been referring to when we're talking about the health discussion. Like often you see intakes of like six to 10 milligrams per kilogram, which like if you take the middle of that for like someone who's a hundred kilos, like that's 800 milligrams of coffee. That's four monsters. Like that's, or no, that's not, that's more than four monsters. It's like five, five over five monsters, 150 milligrams. Yeah. So you're really talking about like big, big doses of caffeine um, that move the needle um, when it comes to a lot, a lot of strength research, at least. Yes, there is, again, there's evidence to suggest that lower doses um, can be helpful. Like coffee can be helpful. But like you say, um, I don't think they're like very, they're not huge effects that I would be, worrying if i didn't get a coffee before a workout i don't think you'd see much of a noticeable difference really um in an average training session i think if you were going for you know one of your hardest training sessions you know maybe you will actually notice that difference then and we think as well like well you know while you say it's 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 difficult to see how it might affect you know something like that kind of moderate training the bodybuilders do you know if you are doing a lot of um a lot of training that's limited by your let's say uh pain tolerance or you're able to ability to really push yourself like maybe coffee might help in that instance does seem like it can help with um you know analgesia to some degree um you know it might help uh, reduce your pain perception and it might help with uh, reducing your rpe during those sets but again you then have to go on to recover from that like you say which is something that that might be working against you but with that said um it, the glycogen sparing effects and the glycogen restoration effects might um, also work in your favor, maybe potentially less um, overall muscle damage or disruption as a result of that. Um, but yeah, I think overall, I think that from my understanding anyway, the, the endurance training is, is, is something I'd be far more concerned about having caffeine before. Um, I think with resistance training, classically, I think uh, resistance training is one of those activities where people, you know, do you know they train in the evening after work often maybe around 6 p.m or after 6 p.m so even if there are benefits like i'm kind of hesitant to say that you should always just go and have your caffeine before those sessions because the reality is that that caffeine is still going to be in your system before sleep and sleep is your best friend it's undoubtedly going to have more of an effect um, on your long-term training performance and health um, than just, you know, slamming caffeine in the evening will. Um, so if I was in that case, just for a practical application, if I was someone who was training at six and I really noticed that, you know, coffee does help, like I'd, I'd be inclined to say like, okay, maybe three or 4 p.m. have a coffee, but I'm generally not going to recommend that you do, you know, 6 p.m. and like all the time. Sometimes when I go home to Killarney and I'm training jujitsu, like six months ago <laughs> before COVID or whatever, eight months ago, um, 
what I might do on a Friday night if I'm training at six o'clock. Like, yeah, I'll have a, I'll have a coffee or something because I'm going down for a one-off session that I'm really excited about or something. Uh, but if I was training at 6 p.m. every evening, I, I wouldn't be inclined to, to recommend that. And I think just, just one more note on that kind of the gym-related stuff because um, James McIntyre asked this within, in our Facebook group. Um, for the record, you should join the Facebook group we, if you want to like ask us questions and stuff for the podcast. One of the, the questions was, you know, what are our thoughts on um, coffee before training or caffeine before training? And generally, like we kind of say, probably, you know, in the hour before, co- before your training session, if you're trying to get the benefits, having a coffee then is probably a good idea. The, um, the time at which the caffeine levels peak in your blood actually varies quite a bit. Um, like I've seen ranges of like 20 minutes all the way to 120 minutes. Um, we tend to like, I think typically when we've discussed it in the past, we say something like 60 to 90 minutes or maybe 30 to 60 minutes. But I, I think like that hour mark, I would start there, have your coffee about an hour before your session um, and see how that goes for you. Um, you could vary that then and play around with it, with that type of structure. Again, it depends on the duration of your session because if your session is two hours long, you might actually want to have your coffee right before so that your caffeine levels peak in the middle of the session, which might actually be ideal because you get the benefits throughout. Whereas if you were to have it 90 minutes before, it might've actually weared off by the, the end of your session, which you know isn't really um, ideal. So that would be my, my general recommendation as it relates to, um, to pre-training anyway. I was going to get onto that at the end of this because I have a few yeah. other things to say on that, but we'll, we'll get to that again. Um, just on the fact that you were talking about like, we'll call it like bodybuilding style training. This is also something that you need to be aware of when you are considering like coffee or caffeine consumption before training. It's like this, like coffee is a vasoconstrictor, right? And this is also related to like the blood pressure stuff and whatever else, right? And that's not necessarily a bad thing in terms of it's like constricting your, your blood vessels, whatever. And like a lot of this is mediated through like cortisol and, know whatever else as well going on but uh that's not something that you necessarily want if you are doing predominantly like pump style training now we don't necessarily recommend pump style training for bodybuilding but like that is something to be uh, aware of you know and that is something that i noticed when i gave up caffeine because currently i don't drink coffee so that's my bias i should have said that at the start or we should have declared our uh, biases and our uh special interests you know you're sponsored by big farm oh, so <laughs> um, but uh you know, that was something i noticed when i gave up coffee that i was actually getting better pumps in the gym you know and um, so again this is something that it wouldn't be a make or break thing for me because like we generally don't recommend like pump style training like we're not like oh, get a, do a superset and a drop set and whatever else, just so we can get a pump. You know, that might feature in some of our programs or whatever else, but that's not something that I'm like, this is how I build my entire program. Like my entire program is not based around getting a pump. You know, it's like, it's based around more so the, we'll call it the progressive overload stuff. However, I know a lot of people do like to get a pump. You know, they're like, that's how I like to train this muscle group or that's how I like to train for this day like people go on a friday night they'll be like chest and arms and it's just a pump style session you know like stuff like that and like i probably just wouldn't have coffee before that because it potentially impacts on your ability to get a pump however having said that like that might be a benefit as well in terms of like you might get less of a pump and like gary was saying you also get this like analgesic type effect from caffeine so combined with getting less of a pump and you know having some sort of like pain or you're an increase in pain tolerance you might actually get more reps 
done and that might actually result in better results over time so you know this is what i'm saying it's, it's kind of like the, the research is fairly mixed and the overall results i'm kind of like meh like it's just it's not it's not something that i would write home about like i'm not going to be like oh this is the make or break of my program did i have caffeine or not before this session like it's just not like it's just meh right and then further to that like the the effects seem to be more pronounced in highly trained individuals and less pronounced in less trained individuals, which is kind of the, the opposite of what you kind of expect. Like you think like beginners and noobs or whatever would get more of an effect from caffeine. Um, but that's, it's actually the exact opposite, you know? So if you are someone that has been training a while and you're, you're quite well trained, like you're likely to get more of an effect from caffeine. Right. Um, so take from that what you will, but I thought that was interesting. Um, you know, obviously it makes sense to an extent because like I was just saying to Gary before this podcast, like beginners are pretty uncoordinated, you know? Um, so like it's, it's kind of, even if you get an, a 1% increase in coordination in a beginner, it's like, right, you're still uncoordinated. Like it doesn't matter. <laughs> Whereas you get a 1% increase in coordination and you're highly coordinated as an individual that has trained for multiple years. It's like, that's a, that's a bigger increase. That's like going from like 98% to 99% versus the noob who's going from 3% to 4%. You know, it's like, yeah, that's significant for them. But in the grand scheme of things, it's like this, like you're still uncoordinated, you know? So again, that's that. I thought that was interesting. Now, the other thing that I want to touch on, which is related to performance, but also related to body composition, which is obviously the other thing that people use caffeine for. And that is, and we touched on it earlier on is that caffeine intake is lipolytic in terms that it stimulates fat burning. Right. And that is beneficial in the context of like endurance training. Like that's, that's great. Right. But also in the terms of like fat loss, it could potentially help with your fat loss endeavors, which could also then increase your performance, you know? And um, however, this is also something that we need to take into account that it does also tend to suppress food intake, which again, phenomenal if we're dieting, not so phenomenal if we are trying to grow and you know eat you know enough food to support our training or whatever else right and so that's something that i'm kind of like like it's a pro and it's a con in the case of a dieting individual i'm like yeah that's great like you see this as well like people who intermittent fast like they'll have a coffee in the morning and because it suppresses their their hunger and and then they're like oh i i don't eat until 12 o'clock in the day or whatever it is right um, and also it's like you're potentially getting some increase in lipolysis during that time because you had caffeine in your system, you know? So it's like, yeah, like you can make an argument that this is a, a great fat loss stack. But again, as we talked about in that last podcast or whatever it was, um, that doesn't necessarily lead to actual increases in fat loss. Um, you still have to be in a calorie deficit to, to get that, right? Um, but that's just something I wanted to note on this because again, that is relevant to the overall discussion because you will hear that come up time and time again where people are like oh uh you know should i have coffee if i'm trying to lose weight and it's like yeah okay cool like it's a stimulant it's also lipolytic it's also you know suppresses hunger and it's like it keeps you feeling like you have more energy so you're you know potentially move more and it's like these are all beneficial things right but also we have to take into account that recovery is potentially reduced when you are dieting and this is effectively like it is a stimulant and you are getting that kind of SNS 
stimulation, like that stress stimulation. And you're also getting that from fat loss itself because like you need to have like cortisol secretion to actually lose fat and, you know, catecholamines, et cetera, are, are elevated when you are losing fat. Um, so it's like, I wouldn't be hammering it, you know, which is again, what a lot of dieting individuals do, especially in the health and fitness sphere where they're like, oh yeah, I'm on 1200 calories and they're like a hundred kilo bodybuilder. And it's like, yeah, I get through the day because I have six energy drinks. You know, it's like, that's probably not a great position to be in either, even though, yes, we can argue mechanistically that there's benefits to all of this stuff, you know? Um, Do you have any thoughts on that, Gary? Yeah, just to be a, just to be a nerd (laughs) for the listeners, because I know some people take this, this away like when you when you firstly like lipolysis itself is not necessarily fat burning because lipolysis, lipolysis is just the release and i know you know that <laughs> the lipolysis is just the, the breakdown or hydrolysis of triglycerides into fatty acids so the thing that the reason that's oxidation. <laughs> the reason that's the important thing for lis- listeners to note is because it can sound like when patty's saying lipolysis that oh that fat's now gone great you know more coffee for me but the reality is that like those pre-fatty acids can just be re again like they can just be made back into triglycerides and stored again within your your adipose tissue so the release of fat for potential burning like is not necessarily something that you just want for no purpose in the case of like endurance exercise for example like that's something that's actually useful because you're taking these fatty acids, you're making them available, and now they can be used for prolonged exercise performance. Um, so yeah, just that's just a, a thing worth noting because I think like it's easy to get caught up in like um, like buzzwords if you're just a lay person. You hear something related to fat metabolism, and it's like, oh, clearly that's a good thing. Um, but but yeah, not not always. Things are often more complicated. But yeah, the the appetite suppressing I think effects of of coffee or something. Obviously, you should consider something that you should you know check out for yourself because i think that one of the things that's worth considering here is that if your coffee um, consumption is often coupled with another behavior um which it often is for people then that's something that you need to consider too you know if, if every time you have a coffee you expect that there's a biscuit that goes with that like that's a very irish thing like if someone gives you a cup of tea or a hot drink there's something coming with that um you have to consider that as well and sometimes by giving up a behavior like coffee drinking it might actually stop you from engaging in another behavior um as well an exact an easy example of that would be something like smoking like people who try to give up smoking they really struggle to go for a coffee with people. Like for example, if you like work in a hotel or you work in a bar, it's very like common on your break to be like, oh yeah, we just, we go for a, a coffee there and you go outside and you have a cigarette as well. And um, so it's very difficult to keep engaging in those behaviors. So sometimes people who are giving up smoking also find it easier to give up coffee. And the same could be true in this case, as it relates to snacking or a certain meal, um, depending on your, the flavor combination of your coffee and something else. And obviously, if you're drinking loads of cream in your coffee and stuff like that's a very clear example of an opportunity for reducing overall um, caloric intake. So, so there's that as well. You know, there's, there's a kind of classic example of like in Tim Ferriss's, I think four hour body, one of those, um, he had, he was like, Oh, you know, put like two big massive, uh, 
got dollops of uh, cream into your coffee to increase your fat metabolism. But like, yeah, you're increasing your fat metabolism because you've just given yourself loads of fat to now deal with. Um, and that's the classic example that people encounter when you hear about things like bulletproof coffee and stuff like that as well. You know, adding lots of fat to coffee because yeah, coffee increases lipolysis and you're giving all this additional fat and you're going to be burning fat, man. But as you guys know from listening to the podcast, you also have lots of extra calories um, and just burning more fat does not necessarily equal um, the loss of that fat. Yes. Now, just to finish up the discussion, um, the dose of caffeine that's going to lead to a performance increase versus the dose of caffeine that's going to really relate to health increases um, or benefits or whatever you want to look at it. Like the, the one that you're seeing most often in, like Gary said earlier on, in the research on performance, it's like three to six milligrams per kilogram right? And so for me, like I'm like 95 kilos. So let's just say hundred. I'm like, that's 300 to 600 milligrams of caffeine. You know, it's like, that's, that's fairly large. Oh, like, like, like if I go to the top end of that range, that is four monsters I have to down before a training session. You know, it's like, that's, that's a lot, you know? Um, for health, it seems to be in that range of like 200 to 400. Well, it actually needs to be lower. I don't want to even put a, a lower end on it we'll say 100 to 400 you know like i'm not going to say like 50 is actually bad but i'm like well it has to go down low somewhere so you could even say zero to 400 but you know below 400 milligrams per kilogram seems to be you know beneficial for health like and that's not to say that everyone should be at 400 i'm just saying like that's kind of the upper end of the the limit you know where people are like that's a health associated dose you know now it's very hard to really say conclusively that that's the limit because you know you'll have people that are like oh i have three to five coffees per day but their actual and their their health outcomes are great you know we're, we're looking at these studies that measure like coffees per day as if that's like a standardized amount of caffeine and it's like that's it's, it's really not a standardized amount of caffeine like those those coffees can be uh, like hitters of caffeine you know so hard to say however the performance caffeine and the health caffeine they are likely different amounts so take from that what you will in terms of what you want to do with that information and in terms of when you time it like we were saying earlier on 30 to 90 minutes before a workout that's generally just the, the generic recommendation again as gary said there's nuance to this like you could argue that you want to time it before like five minutes before your training session because you want to be doing well an hour to two hours into your training session because it's that long there's loads of arguments there's loads of nuance around that but again generic recommendation 30 to 19 minutes beforehand get after it you know but i do want to nuance all of that information by saying and i said it earlier on that like not every session needs to be a record setting event you know like you don't need to have 600 milligrams of 600 milligrams per kilogram of caffeine every single session like save it for your harder sessions like maybe yeah you want to drink coffee or whatever and i want to have it just a smaller dose before all of my workouts again that's fine but i wouldn't be like oh i need to go to the top end of the range i need to go for these six milligrams per kilogram every single session and i'm training four to six days per week you know it's like that's that's not necessary and also it's probably counterproductive because you end up having more overall stress on the body, which you then have to deal with. And obviously, as Gary said, like a lot of the time individuals are training in the evening. So if you're 
dosing 600 milligrams of caffeine per day before training and your training is at six o'clock it's like that's that's definitely going to impact your sleep and that's probably <laughs> a, a a bigger benefit like you're 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 increasing your stress load and then you're decreasing your ability to deal with that stress load because you're decreasing your sleep you know it's like that's not a, that's not a good position to be in right so i'm of the perspective that most people would do better just going cold turkey on coffee for a while and then reintroducing it in a more strategic and smart manner um would you agree with that in terms of like try not to be addicted to it like have to have it every single day and um, i don't think like and this is actually somewhat of a question we got in the facebook group but uh this this idea of like being sensitized to the effects of caffeine like you're not sensitized to the effects of caffeine like the, the effects are still happening right the only effect you're sensitized to is the feelings of caffeine you know it's the same like there is actually sensitization to like beta alanine like i said earlier on like you just stop getting that paresthesia you know um, but with caffeine, it's like you're, you're still getting all of the benefits. Like there, maybe there's minor alterations in the, the extent of those benefits, but it's, yeah. it, it's, it's irrelevant. The thing that you're actually sensitized to is the effect of that stimulation in terms of you're not feeling as hyped up, you know? And like the, your feelings are irrelevant. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, it's uh, like, I don't care if you feel like you're getting less of a benefit if you actually are still getting the benefit. So I would be, a, I would argue that it's probably better to do a detox of it and then strategically introduce it in a smart manner, use it for the training sessions that you need it for, use it in circumstances where you are, I don't know, you've, you didn't get enough sleep that night or you have a, a test day or it's a, it's a really big training session, you know, like I would use it more strategically. However, that's just talking about it from a performance context from a health perspective. Like I don't drink coffee every day anymore, but I also did drink coffee every day for like 10 years. So, you know, I don't see it as a, a negative. Like for me right now, it's a, it's a negative. That's why I gave it up. That's why I did a video on that. If you haven't watched it, watch it. And, um, but for the general recommendation, I'd be like, I'd be pretty happy to be like two to four, cups of coffee per day you're pretty good to go you know like if you're having issues around that like the myriad of issues that we've discussed throughout this podcast then lower it or get rid of it um but i don't feel confident going oh yeah five to six that's great six to nine like i don't feel confident at that level um but if you're having two coffees per day and it's not impacting your sleep man, have at it like i, I it's irrelevant to me yeah, like I think when it comes to like nutrition and health, like there's so many things that really do move the needle. And I mean, arguing about something that seems to be overwhelmingly positive, <laughs> whether or not you should not consume that, I think that's kind of a bit of a waste of your time. But I, with that said, if you are someone who like, you want those like feelings to be present more often for your training sessions, then like Patty said, having a kind of a caffeine detox and reintroducing um, it is something that can be useful to do. The evidence is kind of mixed on like whether you still get the, the same performance benefits if you're habituated um, or if you like have a detox and then reintroduce it when you need it. Um, but I think like when you ask yourself that question, you also have to ask yourself like you, is training also important? Because like some arguments would be that or oh, save your caffeine for when you need to perform. So like competition, for example, 
but then you might be leveraging the benefits of that caffeine for your training. And as a result, you don't have the same res reservoir of performance to express. So, so yeah, I think overall, like, I don't think you need to have any sort of very complex strategy around caffeine, but if you are trying to make the most of it, I would say like having more of the, maybe the feelings associated with it might be um, a useful thing. Like I did find that after I did my last kind of caffeine detox, which I think was for maybe six weeks or something like that, four to six weeks. Like when I first started consuming caffeine again, and I had my first coffee, like it was that like true, like euphoric feeling that people describe when they have coffee that you don't really get anymore because of different receptor types in the brain. You don't, you don't get that the longer you have caffeine. So you can still get the, the stimulant effect or the wakefulness uh, effect, but you don't necessarily get that kind of euphoric feeling, which is, quite nice but you habituate to that once again um but like what i found was that i was able to preserve that a bit by just maybe having a coffee every other day um which is not the case now now i'm having multiple coffees a day again um and, and again i don't get that kind of euphoric feeling um but at the same time like i'm not concerned personally uh, that you know i'm dependent on it as such like i guess there is some level of dependence because you know, you're having something every day, you're having it a couple of times per day, there's some level of dependence. It makes my work easier, it makes me more productive, it makes me study harder, etc. I can focus for longer. So obviously it's it's mostly a positive thing. Um so yeah, I suppose they'd be my my kind of general thoughts. If you want to leverage the maximal benefits, detox and try not to habituate quite as much. Um, but at the same time, I don't think everyone needs to do that necessarily. And and also just to reiterate the point you made, like one of the things my I noticed between like me and my dad like we probably know eat drink the same number of coffees per day roughly and we would have the same outcome on a an epidemiological level if we were just taking a uh, um a survey of how many coffees we have per day but he thinks my coffee tastes like genuine tar and i i can't understand how he has just one small little measly teaspoon of instant coffee so like they're not the same coffees you know if i was to have like 5 plus of the coffees I drink and make for myself per day, like that's very, very different to the five that are probably measured in a lot of um, studies. So you do have to be real with yourself. Like you can't just be like, oh, the guy said three to five coffees per day. And you're like, oh, I'm going to play it safe and have three coffees. But then you have like six teaspoons of coffee in there. You know, they're, they're different exposures and like coffee is not one exposure. So, so yeah, that's my final note. My final note is that this entire discussion was irrelevant for females. <clears throat> because, <laughs> because in the research like females literally have the most confusing like ups and downs of like oh they got this response they didn't get this response they saw this they didn't see this um, and it also changes across their menstrual cycle and it just gets all really confusing so I wouldn't take anything as gospel if you are a female. Um, so that's about 50% of our audience. See you later. Um, but uh, I can still say relatively conclusively that you still get positive health outcomes and you also do get positive um, training outcomes. So it's a lot more complicated. And it's not something that I'm necessarily willing to dive in deep for a free podcast for whatever an hour or two hour discussion and uh, research this immensely complex topic that you know people spend their whole lives researching and um, but i did want to bring it up that you will see differences between male and female responses 
and then also between female responses across their menstrual cycle. So I just wanted to make a note of that because if you are an athlete yourself and you are female um, or you are a female and you like to, you know, be healthy and um, I probably does bear paying more attention to your I'll say tolerance or the effects of coffee consumption across your menstrual cycle and across your lifetime. Like there's probably only one context that I'd be like, just don't drink coffee. And that is pregnancy. And obviously that's something that, that females engage in. And so that's, that's something that you have to, as an extra consideration that they have to layer on. And, but yeah, I would just, if I was a female, which I'm not, um, I would probably just pay more attention to my, the effects caffeine has on me or coffee in general has on me, both across an individual cycle, but then also across your lifetime, because obviously hormone levels are fluctuating, et cetera. So not only do you have to look at like inter-individual difference, you have to look at like the difference between yourself two weeks ago and yourself now <laughs> or four weeks ago or whatever it is. Um, and you also have to look at it between when you were in your teens versus your twenties versus your thirties versus your forties versus your fifties and then into menopause and whatever else. It's like, like you might have a different response based on fluctuating hormone levels, which, you know, guys don't necessarily get as much, even though there is like a, a cycle, a, a more daily cycle to male hormone secretion. And there is like, I'm not going to say monthly cycles, but there are cycles throughout the year for male hormones. And then there is like, uh, we'll call it an andropause in terms of like hormone levels do go down for males after a certain stage. It's not really the same as like a menopause, but again, you might notice differences across your life. Like I haven't, I didn't look at any studies of like 60 or 70 year olds that, you know, drink coffee. You know, maybe there is a difference. Um, and I also didn't talk to any 90 year olds that, you know, drink coffee. So again, maybe there's a difference for a male, but in the research, I didn't really find much in the way of something that would lead me to conclude that for males however for females like that's that is a little bit more apparent yeah the, the, at least with the um the health effects anyway across the across the lifespan and between the sexes they seem to be fairly similar um in terms of the the big three that we discussed you know cardiovascular disease all cause all cause mortality of course um Alzheimer's cancer and the neurodegenerative disease, um, as far as I'm aware, the effects are more or less similar on a big picture level, at least. Um, yeah, as far as I'm aware, like the, the actual, like we'll say mortality or whatever, like they're fairly similar. Like there might be differences in terms of like mechanisms, like breast cancer, like yeah, just, ovarian cancer. Like yeah. That they're obviously going to be more female specific, first of all. And, um, but also like using breast cancer, because obviously like men have breast tissue as well. Um, yeah. But obviously there's more of a, uh, what's called, we'll call it an estrogen or female sex hormone dependent stuff going on there. And um, again, at the end of it, it's like coffee seems to influence this. But when we look at it like on a, a petri dish or whatever, but then when we look at the actual like all cause mortality or mortality for cancer, et cetera, seems to be beneficial in terms of it's a positive outcome, not an increase in death. <laughs> uh, yep. So I think. Um... I think that covers everything really. That was, that was detailed. So that was good. So our recommendation is uh, crystal meth far more effective. Yes. Yeah. We've finished each podcast with a uh, drug recommendation. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, I have nothing else to say. Um, where can people find us, etc. 
Yeah. So as always, guys, if you're a if you're a coach listening to this and you'd like to, you know, upskill, then we'd recommend joining the Coaches Corner. So that's our membership platform, um, and that is basically designed to take all of the the kind of the sciencey stuff and apply it in practice. Like that's the name of the game, really. It's just taking what you need. Like you know, you don't you don't need to read all of the possible papers on coffee and health, you know, to be able to advise your clients. Um, so like, although we don't have a lecture on it yet, like one example of the type of content that we would be producing would be something like um, a lecture on, you know, what the, the research on coffee and what you really need to know, just like the stuff that we discussed in the podcast. But we have a lot more things that could never be discussed in podcast format and even aren't really suited to article format in terms of like, video content for exercise prescription so um, applied anatomy content for example how to cue your clients like solving specific client problems that you're going to encounter as a coach they're the things that we're really trying to dig into um, in the coach's corner as well as case studies and all that type of stuff so if you're interested in that i would recommend um getting involved um, we do also have coaching spaces available so as we said we hope that next week um, the gyms will be reopening in Ireland. So um, obviously that means that we can all you know, get back into the gym again, hopefully. That hopefully is doing a lot of heavy lifting there. Um, but you know that, that means that you know, coaching will probably be uh, picking up once again, uh, we hope. And obviously as we head into the new year, the new year is always quite a busy time um, with people signing up for coaching and things like that. So if you do want to inquire about coaching or you, maybe you want to get it as a gift for someone for their Christmas present, we do have some people who have done that in the past. Um, get in touch and, and we'd be happy to, to take you on. Um, if you'd like to just kind of join the, the triage method community, um, literally or more broadly, you could join our Facebook group, which is called the triage method community. Um, if you want to engage with like asking us questions um, for the podcast, for example, or just asking us questions generally and seeing additional stuff that we post, you can join that for free open access group. But we also have a newsletter that we'd recommend subscribing to. So that's the, triage method newsletter and you can subscribe to that in the description box below importantly like we do release content to the newsletter that basically doesn't go anywhere else like for example this week we just sent out um, an exclusive video from the coaches corner for free to the newsletter recipients um, so if you're you know subscribed to that you get that for free you get recommended resources we summarize all the content that we've produced on various platforms so it's a really good place to just kind of catch up at the end of the week and not have to follow along on social media but if you do want to follow along on social media you can follow us um, on instagram as well we are producing a lot more organic content on instagram at the moment so i would recommend following and um, we'll be putting out a lot of stuff we'll be putting out excerpts from the coaches corner so some insights into videos that we record but as i said a lot of organic content as well in terms of uh, posts on different topics we discussed coffee in our last few posts which is related to this podcast so if you enjoyed this podcast i'd recommend checking out those posts uh, for some more information and relevant references for example um, on some of the topics that we have discussed um, and then finally like we do have a facebook page um, that you can just like and follow um, we do have a, a twitter if you're on there you know drop us a little follow just to just to keep us going and we do have a youtube channel as well so i definitely recommend that you subscribe to the youtube channel because again different platforms, different content. YouTube has content that doesn't really go anywhere else unless it's a YouTube link. Um, so I would recommend subscribing there to, to keep up with, with everything. And we have an exercise library as well. So if you're a coach and you want to send your clients exercise tutorials, you know, you can pop on the triage method YouTube channel, click exercise uh, library and, and send them videos from there. So yeah, that's, that's everything from us, I think.
Yes, sir. I mean, I have nothing else to say. So, uh, good night. Good night. It's too easy. <laughs>